I have been searching. Welcome to Following the Fire, a podcast for Christians who are rethinking their faith and need a safe place to doubt. As we wander through the spiritual wilderness, we want to find and follow God wherever the pillar of fire leads. And just like God's people in the Bible, we get lost, we miss the point, and we don't have all the answers. But maybe that's okay. We're on this journey together. I'm Nathan. And I'm Steve. Even on my heart. All right, everybody, we are excited today. We have a great guest with us today, Carolyn Whitney Brown, author of Flying, Falling, Catching, uh, which we're going to get to talk to uh, about in a bit. Welcome, Carolyn. Thank you. It's great to have you. Um, so your your latest project that uh, that we're going to talk about this book, flying, falling, catching, an unlikely story of finding freedom. Um, Carolyn Whitney Brown and uh, co-author is Henry Nowen. We're going to meet lots of intriguing characters in this book. Uh, we get to follow their stories and their their arcs. Uh, but before we talk about them, would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm happy to. So I was brought up in the United Church of Canada, which is Canada's largest Protestant denomination. And then my husband and I met in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. So we're an IVCF couple at University of Toronto. And then we went to Brown University in the States to do our PhDs in English Lit. And I did it hardcore. I, I wrote about Shakespeare. Um, and then we went to England. On uh, You got some money to go to England and do research at Oxford and Cambridge so we were kind of running with the fastest and brightest. And in a way, I don't feel like we've ever been really ambitious people, but we were certainly in a world where everybody was very ambitious. Hmm. And we just started to, I loved my research. Research delights me. It was so much fun. But I just began to feel uneasy with the kind of people we were becoming. Hmm. Um, I, I felt like our sense of normal was just getting smaller and smaller and more and more elite because we were just spending our time with super bright people. It's sort of what happens if you're immersed in one one world. And we also realized we we're enjoying our volunteer work with, with kids from shelters and um, refugee kids a whole lot more than we were actually enjoying the work we were doing that was setting us up for careers. So we realized we were hungry to learn more about community and prayer and peacemaking. So we spent a year living with two intentional communities, Christian communities in England. We did 30-day hmm. silent retreats. Wow. And that led to an invitation to go to Kenya for six months. So we learned a whole lot about community in Africa. And then we moved in 1990, we moved to L'Arche Daybreak near Toronto. And L'Arche is a network of communities around the world in 37 or 38 countries where people with and without intellectual disabilities uh, assist each other, share their lives, laugh, cry a lot giggle, are silly, uh, just share their lives together. And so it was at daybreak that we really got to know Henry Nowen. And since he's my co-author, shall I introduce Henry too? I would love yeah, to please. learn about your friend Henry. Yes. Yeah. So so Henry Nowen um, was, I guess, about 25 years older than us. And he lived at daybreak with us until his um, sudden death from a heart attack in 1996. That's why I don't have the pleasure of launching this book with Henry, because he's dead. Mm. Uh, so he was, as you say, a Roman Catholic priest. He was from the Netherlands. He had taught at Yale and Harvard. So like us, he'd come from the Ivy League. He uh, And then he came to Daybreak, to this community with people with intellectual disabilities, because he wanted to live a life congruent with the gospel, because he needed a home. And so he lived there for the last 10 years of his life. And in his lifetime, Henry wrote, I think, 39 books. And in, I think every single one is still in print. They've sold millions of wow. copies. And and what really interested him was the spiritual journey, is psychology and spirituality. Not so much religion as such, but but how we, how we find God, how we listen to God's call. Um, hmm. Yeah, how, the, the adventure of being Christian. Yeah. Or of being spiritual people, really. So in the 1990s, we were living in community with Henry, and we had a lot in common, academic backgrounds and this hunger to expand our horizons to a greater variety of people um, with a much more diverse community 
Larsh brings in people from all over the world. So it was a time of real spiritual deepening, actually, for Henry himself and for all of us in the community. Hmm. How big were the communities that, you're, that you lived in? Yeah, uh, ours had, I forget at the time, maybe 10 houses. It was quite big. Some large oh. communities are small with just one house and, and, and a lot of friends with one house with maybe five or six people with intellectual disabilities and, and others living in one home together. Others have a whole lot of houses. Um, in Europe, some of the houses are, are really big with maybe, you know, 12 bedrooms in them. Hmm. Um, there's Larsh in Ukraine. There's Larsh in Haiti. There's Larsh in all sorts of places in the world. And Larsh really is a value of hospitality and care for everyone. And and in in the book and even even now, you've been intentional to say that in this community, it's a community of intellectually disabled people and others living together and supporting each other. And uh, at first, it seems like a little bit of a um, uh, what, what's the word for this? It seems like oh, surely it's you know I'm used to hearing oh, it's where we it's a community to help disabled people. It's a community for homeless people. It's a, right, it's kind of a one directional thing, but it becomes very clear, at least in the book, that it really is uh, exactly as you're describing, a community for people who are disabled and not to live in community and support each other. Yeah, yeah. So it's a community with each other, not for one group. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Such an interesting idea. I could read you a really um, cool bit from the book. One little bit from the book. Sure. Yes, please. Of what he says about Larsh. Because he talks about Larsh and the circus. And it's sort of jumping ahead, but it's so good. Henry said, Now I live and work with people with mental handicaps, and some also have severe physical handicaps. One of the things that has struck me in my life was that the people with a physical and mental handicap are quite often able to create community. I live in a community with people from 21 different nations. Some people are married, some are single, some people are old, some people are young, some people are Japanese, some Brazilian. Normally, these people would never form community. But in the middle, there are people with a weak body who often can't speak, who can't express themselves in ideas or big discussion. Yet still, these people are able to create a community among people who otherwise would never live well together. And then, I mean, we'll get onto the trapeze, but this whole book is about his friendship with a trapeze troupe. And he says, when I saw the Flying Rodleys, this trapeze troupe, I saw in a way the same thing. I saw people who don't speak on the trapeze, who do something with their bodies and who create community, first of all, among themselves as a little group and among all these people who come to see them, young people, old people, children, people from all different languages, they all understand. They create family wherever they go. They bring people together. Hmm. It's such a beautiful... I. Uh, mm -hmm. I have that passage underlined because I think that I identified very strongly with, with Henry in this book. I think I'm not anything like him in, in most ways, but I, I feel like the early Henry um, developed a strong mind without maybe developing a connection to uh, his heart or his body. Yeah. And so yeah. his surprise was also my surprise that a group of people with maybe weak minds are excelling at this thing that I'm really bad at, which is living in community, creating, yeah. wait a minute, you don't have to, you know, I'm really smart and this is very difficult for me. Uh, I struggle, yeah. I struggle to make community with my neighbors and they're also really smart. Yeah. What do you think the experience was like for Henry when he arrived and, and started to discover this, this truth about these people? Well, he was very insecure and he really wanted them to like him. And of course, he couldn't give them books to read or impress them with his credentials. He just had to be himself. And of course, they were ready to like him for himself, but they wanted him to hang around and just waste time together and be there. Yeah. And he wanted to feel like he was accomplishing something. So I think it really took a lot of effort for him to slow down. I would say he never entirely succeeded in that consistently, but... But really, it taught him to slow down and just be there, hang out, waste time, hang around. And one of the really interesting things he started to do was when he would go on speaking trips, whenever he could, he would take members of the community with him. And, and ah. then, you know, he would 
he'd maybe invite his friend Bill Van Buren to tell his favorite joke, you know, and, and Bill would get up in front of thousands of people and he'd say, how do you make holy water? And the audience would say, I don't know, Bill. And he'd say, you boil the hell out of it. <laughs> <laughs> and Henry would say, Whoa. you know, they're going to forget, the audience is going to forget everything I say, but they're going to remember that Bill and I stood here as friends, as equals together. And they're going to remember yeah. that. Yeah. It's such a good example of sh showing the story and instead of uh, telling the story. And in that... Mm -hmm. In that same line of thought, there's this idea, I've never thought of it, um, but where Henry's in this community and he's suddenly uh, having to use his body to convey things instead of his words, and then he relates it to Christ, the word become flesh. And I love that he's like, I don't, I really don't like this. <laughs> <I'm>, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't like this thing where, you know, um, it's my, my body that has to speak. I, I, I can't remember exactly, but. He he had almost yeah. a internal rejection of that, even though he was slowly maybe letting go of that, that part of himself. Yeah. So the yeah. so uh, we should skip forward to the exciting part. So there's a there's a circus. Yeah, yeah. I should say something about the book. Uh, shall I shall I jump into that now? Let's jump into it now. Open the window to a sky. Full of clouds It's been nothing but rain now For what feels like a month So the so we're we're talking about Henry and you you've written this book and really the the two are are very closely related so can you tell us a little bit about flying falling catching Yeah yeah so in 1991 Henry was in uh, Freiburg in Germany, uh, writing a book about called Life of the Beloved, which is going to become a book called Life of the Beloved. And he went with his father and his friends to see a traveling circus. And it, he saw a, a trapeze troupe called the Flying Rodleys. And, and he said, actually, it's okay if I read again. I just love reading yes. Henry's own words since he's not here. He said, I was not at all prepared for an experience that would deeply influence my future thinking, reading, and writing. The program was quite traditional. Horses, tigers, lions, zebras, elephants, and even a giraffe and a rhinoceros. It was all delightful entertainment, but I would have forgotten the evening within a few days and gone back to my writing without any thought about the circus if there hadn't been the Flying Rodleys. Mm. As the last act before the intermission... Five trapeze artists, two women and three men, entered the ring as if they were kings and queens. After having greeted the audience with a movement that made their wide silver capes swirl about them, they removed them, handed them to the attendants, pulled themselves up into the large net, and started to climb the rope ladders that brought them to their positions high up in the tent. From the very moment they appeared, my attention was completely riveted. The self-confident and, and joyful way that they entered, smiled, greeted the audience, then climbed the trapeze rigging, told me that I was going to see something better, experience something that was going to make this evening unlike any other. The 10 minutes that followed somehow gave me a glimpse of a world that had eluded me so far, a world of discipline and freedom, diversity and harmony, risk and safety individuality and community and most of all flying and catching i sat transfixed in my chair and i couldn't believe what i saw so then henry spent the next five years of his life the rest of his life planning to write a fantastic book about this experience he, he thought it was gonna be his best book ever he was so excited about it he he wanted readers to experience what he experienced he didn't want to just write about the trapeze he wanted to write something that would get readers on the inside of the experience. So he thought maybe he could write creative nonfiction or maybe even a novel. Um, so he kept trying to write fragments. And he talked and talked and talked about it. Um, and then he died. And he really didn't leave that much of it. There are two chapters that are about the first week that he met the Flying Rodleys. Uh, there's a tape where he just babbles with excitement. There's a journal he kept <laughs> when he actually rented an RV and traveled with them. And some letters and some interviews and and that's it. So, um, so mm. when I was asked about 
uh, 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 I guess five years ago now, to do something creative with these fragments that had been sitting in his archives for over two decades. Um, I was really excited because, you know, it was sort of mystical. You know, Henry's unpublished trapeze manuscript, it was sort of everyone wanted <laughs> to know what it was. And it was quite disappointing because yeah. there wasn't actually as much as I thought there was going to be. But it became really clear to me fast that while I don't know what his book would have been, I don't think he knew what his book was going to become, so I couldn't write the book he would have written, that I could tell this great story, that there is this superly fascinating story about this middle-aged Dutch priest who lives with people with disabilities who falls in love with a traveling trapeze troupe and, and discovers all sorts of things and really struggles to figure out what it means to him. And that's just, it's just a great story. So the book's in two voices. I leave Henry's writings quite intact, and that's in one typeface, and then I frame it. Um, so my writing is also in a separate typeface. So you can really tell what's me and what's Henry. Um, and it reads like a novel. It, it's it, just like Henry hoped it would. It's it's such a it's kind of a a book within a book because we're we're excited with Henry. We're feeling the things that Henry is feeling, and part of the the question that we're all wondering is like, what, what's the book? What's the book that you're going to show us? And, and you know, why haven't you written it? And what's, what, what's stopping you from writing it? Or what, what do you want it to say? And at the same time, we're meeting Henry himself, which is of course not the book Henry would have written. Uh, but we kind of get to have both books that Henry's book of his excitement. And then also that we're kind of watching Henry um, experience this all over again. I don't really even know how to categorize the book. It's kind of a biography. It's it's kind of spiritual. It's a it's kind of secular. It's kind of like a novel. Um, it's kind of like nonfiction, and it it almost kind of uh, brings all the pieces that Henry was trying to hold together. Um, it brings them all together and almost lets lets us kind of put them together on our own, you know, and, and figure out what that might have been, which I think is what Henry was trying to do with his novel in the first place. Mm. Well, he really, I knew he was really trying to get the hang of a story that's open-ended so that people would find in it what God wanted them to find. You know, he says, great spiritual masters wrote stories. Jesus spoke in parables. Why am I so afraid to try to just tell an open-ended story and let people discover it for themselves? Yeah. As, as you approached kind of this task, how did you, how did you balance trying to write the book Henry would have wanted to write with writing the book about Henry Henry and his, his desire to write this book? Well, it certainly helped that I knew Henry, um, that we were, that, that I knew him quite well. So I had a feel for who he was. Um, <laughs> and we talked, he actually talked a lot about the trapeze and I was never interested I, you know, like I say at the beginning of the book, I don't like heights. It just didn't, it didn't grab me as an image at all. So as I started to work on this book, I had to actually get what he was after. And it, and it really grabbed me. Uh, once I started to get on the inside of what he was seeing, you know, he's, it, it's, once we, we develop a relationship with God, we, we discover our, our internal spiritual life, but then we, what are we going to do about that in the world? What are we going to do together? You know, once we're kind of mature and we're adults and equals, not fathers and sons or, or you know, mothers and daughters, or once we aren't in some kind of hierarchy with each other, what great act are we going to do together in the world? And and what he discovered was that they had so much fun doing it, the, the kindness they had to have for each other, the discipline that they needed to forgive each other because, you know, people mess up and you've got to, forgive each other and get ready for the next next act without carrying resentment and assuming that you'll do your best the next time like there's so much in it about how we live together kindly and mercifully and with a whole lot of energy and, and he just keeps talking about how much fun they're having <laughs> which i think is a great image for our spiritual lives you know i, mm. I mean even your your image of the pillar of fire. I mean, one could think of it as dragging yourself through the desert, complaining about the manna, right? But, but yeah. you know, yeah. Henry, Henry's image is that following that pillar of fire is really fun. It's an adventure. It will take you places you never thought of. Yeah, I really do like his, his descriptions of the trapeze. It's like, it's like this childlike wonder, you know? 
Yeah. Because, you know, growing up, you know, we went to the circus once in a while in Denver, you know, like the big circus would come through and, and, and we'd have the, the, the trapeze artists would be there and then they do the, the, the little set without the net, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, it was it fascinated me, but you know, I'm close enough to the age of the internet that I, there's so much input right now that something is amazing as trapeze work. It doesn't really, like, I don't really think of it as like, wow, that's amazing, but I love him, like how he, and it's like a reframing of it for me. It's, it's, it's kind of nice. Yeah, and he's just so riveted by it. He's yeah. just, it just is everything he wants to be, just flying that freedom. I, I kind of wonder, you know, we're at a disadvantage not having read a lot of Henry Nouwen, so uh, it's it's interesting to meet Henry in this book first. I get the sense from maybe uh, between the lines that Henry was a little bit comical all the time with his, um, you know, maybe clumsiness or, uh, you know, leaving the stove on that maybe at daybreak you knew and that the Rodleys, yeah. uh, the trapeze troupe got to also experience. So you have the shared, yeah. you know, fondness about his uh, his clumsiness. But I, I, I also would have thought of Henry as the very cerebral, um, intelligent person. Was he a... Was he a different, are we meeting a different Henry? Was he free to be a different version of himself when he was with this trapeze group? Or was that just the Henry that just was always, um, always like that? And it, it just, uh, you know, came to this perfect uh, um, analogy and community in this trapeze group. Yeah, well, there have been several biographies of Henry written since his death. And people really do tend to emphasize a very uh, painful side of Henry that is part of why people love his writing so much, because they can relate to it, because he is so honest about his loneliness, about his desire to manipulate people. He's so self-revealing about how hard it is to be human and, and about his own struggles. And and he, but he also could laugh at himself. He had a very funny sense of humor about himself, about other people. And so this, the book starts out with Rodley, the trapeze artist at Henry's funeral. And, and, and you know, one of the uh, people speaking at the funeral is talking about Henry's anguish and, and, and his insecurities and his loneliness. And, and Rodley, I mean, I, this is one of the things that helped shape the book for me because Rodley's still around. And Rodley said, I just had to hold myself back. I wanted to run up and interrupt him and say, that's not the Henry we knew. And so your question's yeah. really good. That There was something about hanging out with this trapeze troupe that was really liberating for him. I, I think the messiness mm-hmm. of the circus life spoke to him about, you know, just not having to be perfect, about not getting it right all the time, of being able to fall. There's a really nice point when he first, I think it's like the second performance he ever goes to and one of the trapeze artists falls and he watches, she just jumps out of the net, she climbs up the ladder, she carries on. Uh, She's fine with it, but Henry says he can hardly stand it. He's just in agony, just thinking about, you know, the humiliation, the the, um, frustration, the embarrassment of having to do this in front of all these people. And one of the great things about Henry is he, he sets all that out so clearly, his own but discomfort watching her. And it's not her discomfort, it's his. Another thing that I identified with Henry is, uh, again, maybe his his judgment of his self that's very, very harsh. And then even the weight of the judgment of other people that follows him around constantly. But as he he's introduced to this troop, it, it seems like he starts to learn not only to see their their acceptance of that imperfection, but kind of that seems to bleed into, I don't know, maybe even his own thinking about um, himself. And there's this beautiful scene and we're uh, our audience in our show. We talk a lot about these in between places, the borders between being in a church and not being in a church or being religious or, or secular, or, you know, even at, at daybreak, the boundary be- between being disabled uh, and, and, uh, and not, and Henry has this experience where he walks into a church after having spent the day at the circus and realizes he misses the the spiritual community back at the circus. 
mm-hmm. and he's he's watching you know maybe a dry performance uh, in the church building, and he's he's exploring these overlapping spaces where, yeah. it, you know, f- from the outside it would seem this isn't a spiritual place or this isn't a religious place, but he's he can't help but see that even when maybe the the Rodleys can't. Yeah, and he's kind of relieved to get back to the messy, muddy circus grounds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Instead of what yeah. probably, you know, would normally be this beautiful thing. And I feel like a lot of the book uh, was, is this Henry discovering that overlap or was that part of Henry's lived experience his, his whole life? These um, being an insider and an outsider, being, a, you know, kind of strange within his own body or within within his own uh, community, but also very much accepted and in, in, in those places. Yeah, and I think that's actually a really good way to put it. Yeah, that, that he seek, he was always sort of searching for a deeper sense of home and yeah, in his own body, in his community, knowing where he was safe, knowing where he was loved, feeling accepted and, and able to really relax and be fun. And uh I mean, we saw that at Daybreak. Daybreak also really liberated that for him. Um, hanging around, we had three small children. He would come over and he would, uh, he just wanted to see the world through everybody's eyes. He wanted to be on the inside of what other people were living. So he would come over and he would like crawl around on the floor and look under the table and under the sofa to see what were our kids looking at. Like he really, <laughs> really That's sincerely great. wanted to see the world through everybody's eyes. I, f- I feel like the... Uh... That Henry's body, again, not having read much of Henry Nowen, um, Henry's body is a is a huge character in this book, mm. both using up all the all the bathwater, but also his his own relationship with his own body or learning uh, his, his own body in the in a couple of comical scenes. Um, how did how did Daybreak change Henry's perception of? kind of his embodied existence and how did the the Rodleys and the trapeze and the circus um, form his ideas about himself and about, you know, people, humans here on this planet? Yeah, I, I think, I think Larsh, as, as you were saying earlier, it really put him face to face with the fact that he was very comfortable preaching the word, being a person of the word. And that being in a community that was really founded on embodiment, the incarnation, on being physical together, uh, was very uncomfortable for him for a long time. In fact, he had a fairly major emotional break um, mm. and, and did you know six months of intense therapy trying to realize, uh, trying to figure out what was so painful about his disconnection from his own body and, and why he was so needy and, and stuck. And one of the things that helped him was actually um, his friend Adam, who was a guy who had quite a lot of seizures. He never spoke a word in his 33-year life. He uh, he needed complete care. And Henry, of course, was terrified coming from being a professor to try to give physical help to Adam. But he started to learn from Adam that Adam had nothing to prove. He had nothing to hide. He was just very comfortable in his own body and it challenged Henry to think why am I so uncomfortable in my body what if what if I could learn something from Adam here and that actually was really important to him Um, over his time at daybreak he he learned how to hug people he learned how to relax he learned Mm. how to he, he started to dance more there was something about about his physical life at daybreak that was very freeing for him and then the trapeze I think was the next step of that Mm-hmm. To watch these bodies just flying through the air, uh, just just letting go of everything, flying this great distance through the air, being caught, being tr- you know trusting, sometimes falling, but then getting up and trying again. There was just something about that that he said university had been the life of the mind, and Larsh really taught him about the life of the heart. But the trapeze just embodied something about that the body tells a spiritual story that he wanted to write about. I know spring is coming, but I need you right now. I know soon the sun will break through and I'll feel your light. Throughout the book, um, Henry is 
is trying to communicate the spiritual truth or truths that he has he's learned like inside his body you know now it's bodied and not in words and he's trying to get it back into words and uh and excited and fearful and there's there are these ideas that i connect to and th- this is what drew me to the book um in the first place this idea of henry said that the trapeze is theology in motion and that there was so much to learn in, in watching these acts, but especially about this idea of the risks, taking the risks, uh, being fine if you're going to fall, but also trusting the catcher. So there's a, yeah. you, you kind of learn about the trapeze, but there's, there's people swinging all over the place, leaping about, and then all of this coordinated action comes together, and it's somebody's job to, to take this person who's flying through the air uh, that person has to just completely trust that they're going to extend their arms out. And it's yeah. somebody's job to grab those arms and bring them to safety. Yeah, that was, that was a huge thing for Henry when when uh, Rodley himself explained that as the flyer, that he couldn't grab the catcher. That, that if he tried to readjust his grip to reach for the catcher first, then they could actually break their wrists. So the flyer actually just puts their arms out and waits and the catcher swings up and grabs them. And then, and then they, you know, the, then the flyer grabs them back, kind of um, forearm to forearm, you know, but, but, but the flyer can't catch the catcher. And for Henry, that was a huge spiritual metaphor of we just fly, and in the end, we trust we'll be caught, that we trust the catcher, and and not just for our deaths, but in our lives too, you know, that we trust each other, that we entrust ourselves to each other, that we try to catch each other, and that we'll fall sometimes. But we'll try again. That's a beautiful, uh, Im- that's beautiful imagery. And it makes sense to me that, you know, now that we're kind of talking this through a little bit, how or why Henry would be so fascinated uh, by trapeze work. Because feeling so uncomfortable in his own body, seeing people who are so confident with what they're doing and so, and yet in danger all the time, but yet... There's there's someone there to catch them, and mm-hmm. if there's a problem, they can get up and go again, and you know just just I can see that uh, that could really that would really speak to someone who was was someone like like Henry was. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's and just he was. fascinating how that how that all those things connect. Yeah, and this whole question of being an outsider and an insider at the same time, he he, he loved going into worlds knowing that he would be an outsider. He was an outsider in the circus. He was an outsider when he went to march with Martin Luther King Jr. from Selma to Birmingham, but Martin mm-hmm. Luther King Jr. had called for church leaders to come, and he responded. And, and it was incredibly significant for him to learn about community and to be with people that way. Um, he went with great fear to speak to people in AIDS, HIV-AIDS ministry, um, like like he he kept putting himself in situations that that felt a bit scary to him, mm. and, and but but I mean again it's your theme right you just follow that pillar mm-hmm. of fire where it leads and you you trust that where you're going will turn out okay eventually. Yeah, trust is hard. And don't light the fires yourselves. That's the, <laughs> I think that's the thing that I struggle with in everyday life. Is I the more that. I'm stressed out or I, I have a longing that I need, the, the more I want to like grab, catch, you know, mm. provide my own sense of security or my own sense of control and grab on tighter. And it's it's so counterintuitive to me to uh, to let go of those things and trust that that it's going to be okay, that I don't need that I don't need to be the catcher, that it's okay to be the the flyer or even the faller. Yeah, the other thing about a catcher is that it's not the end of the act usually. Like the catcher catches the flyer and then they don't just stop midair, right? They're, they're still in momentum. So the catcher catches the flyer and then they send them on to do another trick or they send mm-hmm. them back to the pedestal to join someone else. And I, I just, in so many ways, I find it such a fascinating image for our spiritual lives, for our lives with each other. Yeah. So Henry, who's a who's a great writer is struggling to put these these words down openly and publicly and and in his journals struggling to figure out there's a there's this fear and there's an excitement and part of the the book I think is just exploring like what 
what was that excitement? What was that fear? Mm. Um, and I, I've thought about this a lot because I, I think humans have this tendency to think that I'm always going to be the person I am now. I'm not going to change, you know, but then we mm. look back 20 years and we're, you know, we think it's silly that we were that person, but we think that we're going to be this person forever. And it seems like Henry was doing the same thing that his, he had these new thoughts, feelings, emotions, passions, right? And yeah. he had all of these roles that he had become known as a, a priest, a scholar, a, you know, um, advocate for the disabled, a, whatever it was, you know, each of those became an expectation that maybe wasn't always what, maybe what he was going to do next. Do you, do you have any sense, you know, in the, what Henry encountered here seemed to be so powerful and magnetic and um, electric and spiritual and secular. Who do you think he would have wanted to show these things to? Who do you think mm. he was mm. writing this book to? Who who did he want to see this and, you know, make the perfect package, probably why he didn't write it. You know, who was he trying yeah. to get this in front of? One of the really poignant things he says that you probably read was, just that he realizes he's, you know, by, by the time he writes this, he's in his, you know, 63, 64 years old. And he says that he becomes more and more aware that Jesus died when he was 33. And he wonders, who would Jesus have become? Like, how would he have lived his life if he'd had three more decades? Mm-hmm. Um, and so he wonders, you know, is he, like how, how Henry wonders for himself, how will he keep developing? And what he wanted to do was he really wanted this trapeze image to speak about the spiritual life to people who weren't in church, who weren't religious in a conventional way. I mean, he wanted to speak to his more usual audience too, but he also was just hoping that maybe this story would speak and help with the spiritual hunger that he saw everywhere. He just saw so much kind of longing among people for a deeper meaning, for a deeper sense of community, for a braver way to live in the world. There's actually a, a real sweet point when he's, again, speaking of your pillar of fire, but he's driving his camper. Remember, he's driving this camper van at night down small roads, and he's terrified. He hates driving. Uh, he's never driven anything so big. It's dark. He's scared to death. And, and he's trying to figure out what is the point as he, you know, with white knuckles and terror drives this camper van. <laughs> and he says, well, what, what is this all about? Four pe- five people, four huge mobile homes moving from one little German town to the next, sometimes in rain, sometimes in very cold weather, with never an excuse to stop for a while, to not perform, to not feel up for it, and all for a 10-minute act that most people forget after they've seen it. Well, it's the entertainer's life, making people say, ooh, and ah, and wow, and no, making them feel tension and release, making them look up to the dome of the tent and say, how can they do it? I can't believe it. And sending them home with that strange but quickly passing sensation of having been in another world. Is my own life very different, he asks. I travel here and there giving talks, make people feel safe or excited, and help them come to terms with their feelings of loss, failure, and anguish, as well as their feelings of growth, success, and joy. Am I like circus people, an entertainer? Do I try to hold people up? between the many fragmented moments of their lives and give them a glimpse of the beyond? Well, what's wrong with being an entertainer? Isn't Jesus the greatest of all entertainers? Isn't he holding people up in a life that constantly wants to go flat? Helping people look up for a moment and realize that there's more to life than they might have thought. And I think that's what that's what he wanted the book to do. But he didn't want to write, you know, 10 spiritual lessons about the trapeze. He didn't want to set it out there. He wanted <laughs> to tell a story that people mm-hmm. would have the fun of yeah. interpreting it and figuring it out for themselves. I think the book, The Ten Spiritual Principles of the Trapeze, would have been fantastic by Henry Nowen. Would have been so good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Henry realized it would have been, you know, his formulaic, the, the thing he did over and over that he was good at. But he he himself wasn't learning the lesson of the trapeze, right? He was staying yeah. well within his lane and and what he knew best. But when you have the ten spiritual principles or the three you know, three ways to, to learn from, from trapeze artists, you limit the, the experience and you limit the metaphor. You don't let it live on its own and have its depth, which is probably why people yeah, tell. Maybe you, maybe you limit the spirit too. Maybe you trust God to mm-hmm. reveal things that you haven't thought of yet. If you can just give people an experience, then they get to go deeper themselves. 
And it leaves an awful lot more room, I think, for God, you know, to, yeah. to, to do something new. Such an interesting point because I, I want to put I want to put boxes around things and lists and categorize things, but Jesus is the storyteller who just gives us the story and then for the most part leaves us to it. Yeah, occasionally whispering to someone, "No, you didn't get it. it, it this is what yeah. I was trying to say." But but often just leaving the story to continue to have depth throughout you know decades and and centuries. Um, yeah. yeah, it stays I, with the reader more when you have. To- when you have to, like, you become part of it. You know, you're trying to figure out yeah. what it means. And then it can mean more things to more different people in, in deeper ways than if you just said, this is this and this is that. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's what Henry, to go back to your question, that that's the audience he wanted, was people who wanted to listen to the story and, and think about it themselves and, and discover layers of meaning in it as he had, but not just his, not just what he discovered, to find their own meanings and mm-hmm. and fun i think it's interesting that you know people like me who who get to meet henry first this way it's it's again this overlapping in between place of uh, the the henry with the the story of the trapeze i'm interested to know what surprises i'm going to find when i meet henry in his um in his other work i also wonder for people who are familiar with his body of work and then and then meet this henry what what surprises are in store for, for them and what mm. um again in, in these in-between places you kind of get to go both directions that's that's one of the the things i love about you know a secular book with spiritual truth or a spiritual book with with secular you know realism yeah and thinking about thinking about your um again i, I just i just really like this following the fire theme you can tell it really uh it really works for me i, I it really fascinates me because henry and actually, my life too. If you think about mine, just you know, you just you tr- you keep following all these new directions, and you know, it's like Jesus and John when those early disciples start to follow him around, and he says, "What do you want?" And he and they say, "Where do you live?" And he says, "Come and see." And in a way, Henry's life is just a whole series of responding to that of "Come and see," uh, of going to different places, and. I don't know if you remember, but there was something really, he says, he speaks really beautifully at the um, National Catholic HIV AIDS Network Conference about how how his sense of smallness or boundaries ha- are, are being blown wide open. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and I don't know, can I read more Henry or? Yes, please. Yeah. I just, I just find it fun to read Henry's. He says, Henry, so he's speaking to several thousand people and he says, oh, and first you have to know, he said, okay, that he would go to the conference and he got scared and he said he wouldn't. And then he said, yes. And then he said, no. So, um, he I, said, I have so to took, interject yeah, because these conferences weren't in 2021. They were in 1994, 1995, which, you know, seems both like yesterday, but also a, a long time ago when this was a community that was uh, there was a lot of fear just about this pandemic going on a lot of fear about this uh, this community and what what does it mean for um, I don't know religious people or 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 whatever so that and there was no cure it was before antiretrovirals like it was it was the leading cause of death among all people aged 25 to 44 in the US it was it was a huge terrifying yeah it's good to put us back into that moment when Henry says, yeah, I'll come speak to you. Yep. Yeah. And he says, being in this conference has been a little bit like a new jump into something unknown, a little bit frighteningly unknown and not knowing what it will do to me. Maybe my whole life has been a life in which boundaries are pushed out and broken down. And it has been frightening for me every time a new boundary came tumbling down. So I've realized, okay, I might have started in community or in the church or in the seminary or in my family as a safe, clear place. And then bang, 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 all these boundaries keep falling. All these little hedges and fences keep falling away. Suddenly, the non-believer might be more believing than the believer. The outsider might have something to teach the insider. Suddenly, the difference between Catholic and Protestant, Christian and Buddhist, religious and secular, aren't the kind of difference I thought it was. 
When I went to Daybreak, my community now, I realized that the difference between handicapped and non-handicapped just wasn't there anymore. The difference between male and female, young and old, married and celibate, white and persons of color, all the distinctions that seemed so important. Suddenly, the AIDS pandemic throws all these differences away. The difference between homosexual and asexual and bisexual people or between married people and transgender people. And he says, I've never heard so many terms. And his audience just starts to laugh. (laughs) And then he says this great thing. He says, it seems that these differences aren't that important, actually. Married, celibate, single, you can be anything, but we are together. The AIDS pandemic brings us together. I tell you that for me personally, and I would guess in some places for you, that when the boundaries are falling away, you get anxious sometimes and say, now, where do I say stop or here, here? Is this it? And it's no longer there. And suddenly you realize that your heart is expanding and there are no boundaries to that expansion. That's really cool. I like that a lot. That's such a, I I almost want to tear up at that. Just Mm. the, I feel like this connects to to Jesus and when there was the, the boundary between the most holy place and then where women could go and then where, um, non-Jewish people could go, right? And then every time a boundary fell down, people thought, you must be doing something wrong. You know, the yeah. boundaries are also our security blankets yeah, and our definitions of in and out or good and bad or, or whatever it is. And starting to realize maybe that this love thing, it doesn't have a boundary is terrifying, mm. but then mm. uh, also exhilarating, you know, kind of the, I feel like that's a theme that, that we talk about a lot. Just like, yeah. well, where where can we draw the line? Where can I draw a line to just finally say, well, that's a, a line too far. Um, <laughs> but that's I love the me. names that, that you can get anxious, you know, trying to figure <laughs> yeah. out positioning yourself. And I also love that he says that not that the differences don't matter entirely, but they're not what he thought they were. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like like racial differences matter. We're living in a different you know, it is a different thing to be gendered differently, to be racially, yeah. you know, diverse. Like like people live different realities. So he's not discounting difference, but he's saying the differences don't mean what I thought they did. They aren't about who's in and who's out. They don't have to do with who I can love or accept or not. It's not about that. He was very interested in differences and, you know, how we were living different realities he was very very he was so fascinated by human experience but but there's i just love that suddenly you realize that your heart is expanding and there are no boundaries to that expansion and i love that curiosity and i think that that lack of curiosity is what we seem to be struggling with so much now Mm -hmm. in, in society because if i look at you and you're different whatever that is race, gender, whatever. And I all I think about is I see that you're different. Then I'm absolutely immediately putting up a wall. When you're mm-hmm. curious, like he was, like even yeah. like the story about your kids, like looking underneath the, the couch, you know? Yeah. <laughs> when you're that curious about people around you, they become people, you know? They become mm-hmm. uh, something to love, not something to look at or and analyze but something to someone to empathize with and to, to get inside their heart and figure out what, what drives them. And I think that that's, to me, that's a, a, I mean, that's a beautiful way to just learn to love each other and love people the way Jesus loved people. I think uh, it's probably come out in my enthusiasm, but I, I really think Henry succeeded in writing his book. It, it was just an exhilarating journey for me. I, I felt like I was, feeling those things along with him. And then I couldn't stop thinking about my life and my spirituality and my enemies and my friends and my, you know, uh, fears and the, the mm-hmm. things that I'm holding on to. So I'm, I'm so grateful for Henry and his life and his work. I think you succeeded in writing his book as well. And I feel lucky to, to have gotten to almost by accident, meet this, this character. And then the, all of the, the, the people along the way so that I can kind of learn these, so funny. Learn these lessons that somebody learned 25 years ago that, that now I need to learn um, mm-hmm. just by following th- those same steps mm-hmm. or or uh, maybe getting infected by some of that curiosity. So uh, I'm 
you know, I, I want to say thank you to Henry and, and thank you to you for, uh, for putting this, this kind of journey of a, of a book together. I'm so glad it, it wasn't um, the three spiritual truths about uh, the circus. Mm. Well, nice to meet you guys. Nice to, uh, I, I, I love talking about the book and I love talking about Henry. Thanks for inviting me to do that. On the back cover, you'll see this great picture of Henry lying in the arms of the trapeze troupe, uh, looking absolutely elated and absolutely awkward in his body and absolutely in his <laughs> happy place all at once. It's so great. <laughs> That's awesome. It's so great. Well, thanks for taking the time to, to talk with us about it. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Good to meet you guys. Yeah, do, you have, do you have any other projects going on or writings that you're working on? Anything like that? Not for sure yet. There's there's a couple things kind of percolating a bit, but first it's just really fun to get this book launched, you know, to send it out into the world. It's a little like sending your kids out, you know, you sort of, it's time for it to leave <laughs> the nest and, you know, I'm kind of done uh -huh. and I just send it out and I hope it has a really happy life and I'm really interested in how it does and I hope it develops lots of intimate relationships that I don't need to know everything about and I just hope that it has a really good life out there. <laughs> That's so yeah. funny. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I hope I can infect a few other people with the, with that that journey. And we, as mm. you know, man, straight laced. You know, in our uh, denomination, it, it's so. The circus is the opposite of. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, with noises and music and you know uh, flamboyant dresses and. Um, um, it's it's so fun to find the spirituality in those in those places and and not not always in a in the stiff spots. So. Hey, thanks for listening. We hope you got something out of the episode today. Check the show notes in your podcast app for all the links and references that were made, or you can find it all at followingthefire.com. If you'd like to support the show, please go to patreon.com slash following the fire to become a patron. And of course, we'd love it if you rate the podcast and share it with others. See you later. And I'll give you all my heart Don't you know it's all I have Even on my heart Can't I have been running Almost all my life But you, you always chase me down